Hello, and welcome back to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Isabel Robles. And I'm Seth Bodine. Seth, I have a question. Okay. Have you seen any interesting headlines lately that you wish to share? Hmm. Well, there was that one that you previously talked to me the other day. Do you remember what that was? Yes, it's hard to forget. It is hard to forget. It was about a lawnmower that found its way into a local pool in Springfield. We don't know why. We don't know how. I'm wondering just the manpower that had to make that happen. But it caused a lot of problems. There must have been a lot of rage behind that. (laughs) (laughs) There must have been. You know what we would call it if it was a car instead of a lawnmower? What would it be? It'd be a carpool. <laughs> Woo! Dad jokes <laughs> for the win. Should we get started? Yeah, let's just forget about that and get started. Okay. <laughs> First off, we'll take a look at this week's headlines in startup news. Then we'll hear my interview with Vijay Chahan. He's with Global STL, an organization that works to recruit international startups to the St. Louis area. Our Kansas City reporter will share her interview with Helix Health co-founder Anurag Tell. And then we will give you our digits, the numbers that matter in Missouri startups this week. But first, hit me with the news. The U.S. Department of Commerce announced it will be giving grants of about $750,000 to three organizations that help Missouri startups. Our Trans and Biogenerator of St. Louis and the Marquette Tech District Foundation in Cape Girardeau are three of 23 businesses nationally who received the grants. They were selected from a pool of 183 applicants and chosen by the Economic Development Administration. The administration announced $23 million in total grants nationwide and $26 million in matching funds. Two Kansas City-based executive assistants have teamed up to create Kansas City Executive Assistance Network. The network will hold quarterly meetings to provide tips to members. Its main goal is to provide resources to professionals and be a support system. Founders say they believe membership is an opportunity to network and create connections between businesses. Jack Dorsey, a St. Louis native and co-founder of the technology companies Twitter and Square, will be returning home to help plan the demolition of 30 vacant structures in St. Louis over the next 20 days. The demolition is part of a project by the St. Louis Blight Authority to clear a four-block space. The organization launched the effort last Friday and will clean up about 130 structures in the area. So, Isabel, you were in St. Louis this week. Yes, I was. I went to the Info Ag Conference at Union Station to meet with Vijay Chahan, who is the project lead of Global STL. So what does Global STL do? They're part of a larger organization called BioSTL, and they work to bring startups from across the nation and world to St. Louis. Chahan said St. Louis has become a hub for plant science and health innovation, and he believes both the startup and the St. Louis life science ecosystem can benefit from collaboration. What do you talk about? We spoke about the benefits that Global SDL's international companies are bringing into St. Louis. We also talked about a new program he's working on called the Early Adopter Grower Innovation Community. The program will help connect innovators, farmers, and researchers in order to realize innovations more quickly. Here's that story. The problem we have today is that we have the need to produce a lot more food to serve a growing population on a lot less land, a lot less water. So farmers have to be a lot more productive for which they need a lot of innovation. 
while there's a lot of innovation being developed, it's coming at these farmers from every direction and they are overwhelmed. And today they are the receivers of innovation, they're not the drivers of innovation. And because it's innovation that is coming to them, they are not sure what to do with them. So it takes a long time before an innovation is adopted and scaled across the farm. What we're trying to do with this project called the Early Adopter Grower Innovation Community is build a direct connection with the farmer to understand what innovation they're looking for that people are not giving them. And then look across our global network that we've built now across 12 countries and find the innovation that's solving for the problems that they're looking at and bring that to them directly. Global St. Louis's main goal is to bring international startups and technology and innovation into the state. Why does Missouri benefit from that? And with your time with Global St. Louis, how have you seen how Missouri startups or innovators can benefit from global companies coming into the state? So we are actually in the Global STL project that I just described with the producers. We are looking at innovation from everywhere, U.S. and international. Uh, what we have found, though, is most of the folks in the, in the U.S. know a lot about the U.S. innovation. The challenge is what's going on around the world. And so our goal is to add to what is already known by bringing in these gems that take place in Argentina, in France, in Ukraine, in China, India. These are very interesting farming practices, very different challenging conditions. Israel is another one where we bring ideas from. So our goal is to bring, bring the best ideas from U.S. and the world to our farmers. What benefit, if you can name any directly, have you seen to Missouri from these innovators coming in? What we have found is that we are expanding the solution space when we bring innovation from around the world, not just the U.S. ones, but the ones around. And so we are seeing our Midwest farmers getting access to technology that if we had not worked consciously to bring them here, would go to other regions those folks would get it, and then our folks would be like three or four or five years behind. We want our producers to be at the front seat uh, on the best ideas that are out there and saying, hey, that's really cool, I want it, and they get it now versus three, four, five, six years from now. So we find oftentimes when you go to California, for example, there's a lot of innovation going to California. Some of them should come to our region first, and our whole point is to make sure that we close that gap and we bring it to our region first. So I'm curious, what makes a startup unique or stand out or distinguished from others when you're thinking about bringing them into St. Louis? So we actually look for companies where they are solving for a problem that somebody here has told us is really, really important. So rather than just saying, here are 50 companies, throwing it against the wall and see what sticks, we start by understanding what is the demand, the need for innovation at a very deep level. That's why this farmer program we're talking about is our attempt to go directly to the farmers, not go listen to somebody at Bayer or somebody at a farm bureau or so on. We want to go directly to the producer saying, what is it that you're looking for? And when we understand that at a deep level, then we want to go out into the world and find the companies that can solve for that. So what makes these companies really exciting is because they are showing up as very good at solving for the very specific problem that somebody here has because not too many companies can do this. So it's a very specialized one-on-one kind of a thing. It's a special problem requiring a very special solution. You've worked with 22 startups raising capital and developing plans for six of them. What was that experience like? And from all of that, what stands out to you about St. Louis startups or any startup, I guess, that you've met? So one of the things that really is important for successful startups is to have great innovation. And often that means great talent. 
we are really blessed in the Midwest and in St. Louis to have real deep expertise in the agribusiness value chain. So we have more plant science PhDs in St. Louis than anywhere else in the world. That's a really unique advantage that we have. So talent producing great innovation. But that is great. But what do we do with this innovation? I'm a scientist. I've got an idea. I'm sitting in my lab. How do I know there's a company here? How do I build a company? That is what our organization, BioSTL, has gone about doing. We have an investment arm called the BioGenerator that invests and creates companies out of these kinds of ideas. Spending time with an entrepreneur or an inventor, figuring out is there a business here? Is there a market here? Is there an unmet need? Can the intellectual property be protected? Can investors be brought to this? That is the hard work that's what somebody needs to do. And we have now built a fantastic engine for doing that. So the BioGenerator has created about 150 companies. We've invested in about 80 of these companies. And those companies are moving forward and raising a lot of capital. Many of this is coming from outside of our region, from some of the top venture capital groups on the East Coast and the West Coast. So that's what's happening now. The brand of, of our region is changing. And we are now getting the best innovation coming here, the best innovation growing out of our region, forming into companies, which wasn't possible 15, 16 years ago, and BioSTL was very much the spark plug for making that happen. Great. And then finally, what other projects or goals are BioSTL or Global STL working on right now in relation to startups? So we really believe that all this great innovation, if it only benefits the urban parts of our economy. Uh, it's good that we are doing something there because we, we were behind on that area, but now that we've made progress on the urban side, we really need to figure out how to have impact in the rural communities. And I'm really excited about this early adopter innovation program because what we are going to be doing, they are going to figure out which innovation is going to bring value to them. And as they are trying to scale it, many of these digital innovations we can tap into the workforce of the young kids who are in these communities who are pretty tech savvy because that's their life and their fathers and their you know are, are from a different generation so once this innovation has value and should be deployed hiring that local talent from those communities giving them a little bit of training and then letting them lose to be trust partners you know because it's a relationship that's going to be there across time. We are very keen to figure out how to bring this innovation and have our local talent in those communities be the ones that are being hired, trained, and now becoming the deployers of this innovation. For the full interview, head to MissouriBusinessAlert.com. The healthcare industry is transitioning from an industry that is paid to do more to one that is paid to do better. This is according to Helix Health co-founder Anurag Tell. Helix Health uses data analytics to help providers create preventative care for patients with chronic diseases like diabetes and effectively lower the cost of healthcare. Our Kansas City correspondent Rashi Srivastava got a chance to understand the inner workings of Helix Health from Patel and talk about the startup's role in the ever-changing healthcare industry. So I'm here with Anurag Patel, the co-founder of Helix Health. I want to start with the origins of Helix Health. How did it come to being? It was started in 2018. Um, my co-founder is Aaron Deacon. 
He is the director of Kansas City Digital Drive. There's been a number of years that we've been helping the health tech community get together, work on how to commercialize some of the research into um, application for health purposes. Um, and at some point we realized that instead of trying to push people, we should just potentially do one. And uh, we ended up working with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation on a, a proposal grant that they had called um, Choosing Care. So initially it was called Project Helix, and then Project Helix turned into a company called Helix Health. Um, we added a bunch of analytics or predictive analytics to the the platform and we started to focus in specific chronic care condition states one of them the first one being diabetes right so how does it all actually work what we track is what happens in the real world mm -hmm. so even though there's a a single set of treatments for diabetes that you would potentially start on that application outside of the clinic may look different for different people and that's you generally due to who that patient is and what their background is, what their social uh, social economic status, so social determinants of health um, are a big factor of that. And then also um, the environment of the healthcare system that they're in. Um, we've made the assumption that all of those things are different and in combination create a unique opportunity. So why won't we treat that unique opportunity instead of trying to treat everyone exactly the same? So what that does mean is not necessarily changing the treatment, but changing how someone could get to um, easier pathways to getting that treatment. Are your customers the patients or healthcare providers? Our customers are um, B2B, so they're the businesses of healthcare. Okay. That's primarily payers and providers. So payers are the insurance companies and providers are the healthcare institutions. We have a third customer as well, which are employers. They have employees that they want to keep healthy through their insurance programs. Okay, so how do you actually collect the data from the patients? So the chatbot is just uh, is a small part of what Helix does. It's not what we sell. It's a way to reach out to patients if we need to. Um, but that's really just to do patient engagement. Mm -hmm. The um, the core of Helix is actually um, an analytics platform, and in that analytics platform, we do take patient data, um, both um, clinical and, and non-clinical. We are partners of those healthcare institutions to provide healthcare services through them, so we are we're able to get data with our partners. Right. Can you talk a little bit more about how the digital sandbox helped Helix Health? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Digital Sandbox has, uh, has been a great opportunity in the community. One of the gaps that they fill is the ability to, to use their funding um, for a proof of concept. So we use our position for the ability to go get more customers. Right. How do you think is the healthcare industry changing and how is that impacting Helix Health? Um, I do believe that we need some innovation and disruption in the healthcare market, um, especially on how we treat and, and work with preventing diseases and um, symptoms instead of being always reactionary. So looking at acute situations, 
is not um, the only thing that we should be doing, but that's what the business of healthcare today is. Right. If you're sick, then you're a customer of healthcare. If you're healthy, then you're not. So there's no space currently for a business model to be created um, at a large scale for people to stay healthy or be healthy. When it comes to data, data analytics, um, looking at the operations and efficiency of healthcare, it's more possible today than it was even five years ago. Um, compute power, um, maturity of the algorithms, um, maturity of data um, analytics in healthcare um, has grown uh, considerably in the last five years. That's more accessible to even smaller um, organizations and companies than it was in the past. So what struggles has your startup specifically faced um, in reaching its goals? We have challenges on trying to meet the demands of every single individual organization instead of looking at um, what we want to more do, which is to build out something that's scalable to all of those organizations. Um, being able to build out large platform um, um, specific products um, is, is very expensive and so something that a startup would have challenges with. So how do you convince your customers to adopt this new model of value-based and preventive care? So that's a really good point. A lot of what we used to know and what our um, healthcare industry is built off of is what's called fee-for-service, so do more, pay, get paid more, um, but that's transitioning. So um, over the last couple of decades um, into now, um, there's been a, a shift from fee-for-service to value-based care. Um, or value-based payments. Hospitals are already understanding that they've taken on new risk when it comes to treating patients because they don't necessarily always get paid more for doing more. Uh, how they make more money is to reduce that cost. Um, so that's how we plug into those, um, into that environment, into that customer by saying that we have the analytics or the tools that allow them to see what patients to focus on and how that would prevent um, downstream and expensive costs. How can health tech companies like yours contribute? Specifically in healthcare, healthcare is a very um, robust, old um, industry that's not necessarily willing to change, um, but there are new opportunities that um, allow um, the industry of healthcare to want to change. Um, and so that's where we're um, looking at our, our, our position to take advantage of those opportunities. Value-based care is an opportunity to build out higher quality and increase efficiency. And I think that change is what is um, a pain point or difficulty in the healthcare industry. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Kansas City-based reporter Rashi Sarastava. And now it's time to review important numbers in entrepreneur news. Isabel, what are your digits? My digits this week are 25. This is the amount of kombucha kegerators that were delivered to the Kansas City Chiefs training camp facility in St. Joseph. They were delivered by Scobie Masters T-Biotics, which began in November. The Kansas City area company makes various flavors of kombucha, a fermented beverage which can be stored in kegs. Various athletic teams across the state went the drink on tap, including the Chiefs and the University of Missouri Athletics. 
T-Biotics just raised $1.2 million in funding in a deal with Hy-Vee, which featured the booch, as it's called, across many states. Seth, can you give me your digits? Sure thing. Mine is 2,000. This is the approximate amount of seeds per plant that come from cannabis plants being grown by United American Hemp, a Kansas City area startup. Each of these 2,000 seeds can be sold for a dollar each. $2,000 for just one plant? The breeding lab is run by Michael Wilson, who formerly was the founder and CEO of Kansas City's Nile Watch Company. He's working with James DeWitt, formerly the COO of Creative Planning, a wealth management firm. This is the first time farming hemp for both founders, and they say their yield has the chance of being the first of its kind in the state. And now, one for the road. A quote, that is. Success for us, just to be blunt, is a multi-hundred million dollar exit in a couple of years. That's really what we're shooting for, and we expect that to be the case, given where we sit in the market and the opportunity that's coming toward us. That was Scott Ford, Pepper IoT's CEO. Pepper IoT is a Kansas City-based startup that makes an operating system and delivery platform for connected devices. He talked with our Rashi Sarastava last week. For more on the story, head to MissouriBusinessAlert.com. And that's all for this week. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Isabel Robles and me, Seth Bodine. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next week. Thank you.